All right. So we've been reading through Proverbs 2 a little bit each week, the last few weeks. So I encourage you to go back and read that chapter. It's about wisdom, and it ties into what we've been talking about here the last few weeks and what it looks like for us to just cut some things out of our lives. Um, I need to address something uh, really serious, some uh, rumors that I've heard going around about me that I am a Cardinals fan. If you, if you know me at all, you know that that wasn't true, right? <laughs> It's a joke. It's not a funny joke, but it's not true. Go Braves. Okay. Uh, So we're wrapping up this series today, uh, Cut It Out, and next week we'll start a series on shalom and finding peace in a world where peace can be hard to find. So as we wrap this up today, we're going to talk about was kind of saved for last, a concept that I think sort of underlies all the other things that we've covered. And um, maybe you can guess what it is from the video clip we're going to show. So take a look. I have it all morning, so let's over over to the driving range and hit a few virtual balls in space. Now we did that yesterday. I don't want to do that. Well, then what do you want to do? I don't know. guesses. It's not AI. Uh, We're not going to talk about that today, but so uh, this picture of the future of humanity is a little frightening, um, but so unrealistic, right? There's no way humanity could get to a point where um, we don't do anything because machines do everything for us. That doesn't sound realistic at all, does it? Yep, that's my nightmares, right? So what happens when the machines do everything for them and there's nothing left for them to do? I mean, they can't even dispose of a cup. And then when somebody falls out of their chair, everyone just reroutes around them. I thought that's funny. Like, no one stopped to help, like, because that's not their job. That's the machine's job. So they just reroute, you know, get out of the way. Oh, so depressing. Anyway, it's a great movie, though. Um, so today we're going to talk about complacency because I think underneath several of the other things that we've discussed is this... Um, drifting toward a place where we've just kind of checked out a little bit, where we just kind of said like, 
You know, I, I can only care about so much. Do you ever, you ever get overwhelmed with how much there is to care about in the world? Like, I know young people, you do. Like, because you, you care about the world and you, you want things to be better. But then do you watch the news or you, you know, follow something on social media and you're like, ah, there's a lot out there to get worked up about and to care about. And I just, I've got a limit. So I can only care about so many things. And then what, what do we prioritize? That's, that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. I think it's, easy, uh, it's easier that other things we talked about this series, dishonesty, sexual immorality, anger, that if, if someone were to challenge you on those things and say, hey, can, you know, a friend sits down and says, can we, talk about, can we talk about your anger? It just seems like it's impacting people. And most of us would go, you know what, you're probably right. Let's, let's talk about it. But if someone sat down with you and said, you know what, I you just seem totally complacent. Most of us would not respond well to that. We'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, no, I, I care about things. I do things. I'm, I'm busy. I'm, I'm active. I'm productive, right? And so the last thing we want is for someone to say from a stage somewhere that we need to be doing more. I mean, if you're like, yeah, I, I, if you told me I need to be doing more, I would be so receptive to that and so grateful. No, I, I'm doing all that I can do. I'm, I don't have anything left to do. I don't have any more time in my schedule. I don't have any more money to give. I don't have any more you know, resources. I'm, I'm tapped out. So don't ask me to do more. Um, I'm going to, so just buckle up. But I, I'm going I'm to explain it first and then, and then we'll get to it. But I want to read uh, something from an article I came across uh, in the Atlantic by a writer named Jake Medor. And uh, this is not on the screen, uh, so just um, use your listening ears and try to track his train of thought and see if you can pick up what he's, what he's talking about. He writes, contemporary America simply isn't set up to promote mutuality, care, or common life. Rather, it is designed to maximize individual accomplishment as defined by professional and financial success. Such a system leaves precious little time or energy for forms of community that don't contribute to one's own professional life or, as one ages, to the professional prospects of one's children. Workism reigns in America, and because of it, community in America, religious community included, is a math problem that doesn't add up. But a vibrant, life-giving church requires more, not less, time and energy from its members. It asks people to prioritize one another over our career, to prioritize prayer and time reading scripture over our accomplishment. I'll leave you with some warm, fuzzy feelings. Probably not. Because most of us think, like, we value hard work, we value busyness, we value productivity, and I'm, I'm busy. I, I got a lot going on. My calendar's pretty full. When was the last time you sat around your house going, I just have nothing to do for a few days? You don't, you don't say that. You wouldn't say it out loud because then somebody else would be like, well, I've got stuff for you to do. Isn't that, don't you learn that at about 14? Don't ever tell your parents you're bored. Why? <laughs> I've got some stuff for you to do, right? So uh, we, don't, we don't even say that, but we don't really experience it. We don't ever feel like we have nothing to do. The choice is, what am I going to do out of all the things I need to do, right? So how can we ask that people do more in a church? How can we do that? Well, um, it helps that I'm not going to be the one asking. It's going to be Jesus, so you can take it up with him if you don't like it. But uh, we're going to be in uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to kind of get a picture of what I think 
um, Peter thinks the church should be like, okay? Um, so we're gonna start with um, two verses, verses uh, three and eight, because I think they create uh, sort of like brackets around the stuff in the middle. And what we see in verses three and eight is gonna help emphasize and explain the verses in between. So I'm gonna point those out first. If it's on the screen underlined, that's your part. Please read that aloud. Are you ready? Okay. We'll do it anyway. Uh, Peter writes, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life by his own glory and goodness. And then in verse eight, he writes, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. All right. So what I believe Peter's doing here is he's creating what I'm gonna call a knowledge sandwich. So he he talks about knowledge in verse three and knowledge in verse eight. And the knowledge is specifically knowledge of God, right? Knowledge of Jesus. And his premise is that knowledge of Jesus should produce something. It has an effect. It has a result in your life. So he's not talking about knowledge in the way we often use the term as like retaining information, okay? So I can increase your knowledge by telling you that the capital of Libya is Tripoli. And you can go, oh, I didn't know that. Who cares? But now I know the capital of Libya. That's knowledge, the way we usually talk about it. That's not what Peter is talking about. Peter is talking about something that's relational, like a, a relational knowledge, a communal knowledge, in the sense that I can say, I have knowledge of Andy Gable. I've known Andy Gable for 25 years-ish, and I know his family well. Um, I, I know we talk a lot about life and church and everything. Like I have knowledge. That's the kind of knowledge Peter's talking about. It's like this relational connection because of time together and conversations we've had. Like, I, I, I know this person. And so Peter says that kind of knowledge of Jesus produces something in your life, Okay. So let's see what it produces. Let's go to verse three. Oh no, wait, I wanna back up because I think we have to remember where Peter got this. Is Peter just like, does he just intuitively know this? Is he making it up? Peter was a disciple of Jesus for over three years. He followed him around, listened to him teach, watched what he did. And then after the resurrection of Jesus, Peter becomes a leader of the church. So he got this from Jesus And Jesus says something very like this in John 15. So I wanna read this verse from John 15. Jesus says to his disciples, I am the vine, you are the branches. You will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So what's, what's, Jesus uses this metaphor, the vine and branches. What's the relationship between vine and branches? They are connected so that the, the nutrients, the energy, or what, I'm not a botanist, but there's stuff flowing from the vine to the branches to the end that the branches then produce fruit, right? The branches get everything they need to produce fruit from the vine. And Jesus tells the disciples that he gets everything from the Father. He says, everything, everything I say, everything I do comes from the Father. It comes through Jesus to whoever is connected with him so that they can produce fruit. Jesus says, if you're connected with me, you will produce fruit. You don't have to try to produce fruit. That doesn't, that's not the goal. The goal is connect to Jesus. And if you're connected to Jesus, you will produce fruit. Okay, so let's see how Peter lays this out. Let's go back to 2 Peter 
two, uh, one, uh, verse three. His divine power has given us through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So Peter says that his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life, that all of it has been provided. Faith, love, hope. God has given you everything you need for a godly life. It doesn't always feel that way, does it? Sometimes you wake up on Monday morning and you go, I don't know if I have everything I need for a godly life today. <laughs> it's gonna be a challenge. Or you get to the end of a week, Friday night or Saturday night, and you look back and you go, man, it just didn't seem like I had everything I needed for a godly life this week. But Peter says, you have it. God has given you everything that you need for a godly life so that you may participate in the divine nature. So this is not like so that you can be God. It's so that you can reflect God's goodness to the people around you. So this is why God gives us what he gives us is so that we can reflect his mercy, his power, his grace, his forgiveness, his love to the people around us, okay? Uh, let's continue, verse five. For this reason, goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. So this is where, like, if we're paying attention as we read and we're going slow, you get to this verse and you go, okay, wait a minute. In verse three, he said, God has provided everything that I need. And now he says that I need to make an effort to add. Well, if he's already given me everything I need, why do I need to add to it? I mean, hasn't he done everything for me? Well, sort of, but not exactly. This is why uh, we're calling it a knowledge sandwich because um, if I wanna make a sandwich, I don't have to go out to a field and harvest some grain and grind it into flour and use that flour to make bread. Somebody already did that work for me and then put the bread in the grocery store and then somebody went to the grocery store and bought that bread and put it in my pantry. <laughs> It's very convenient. I don't have to go to a strawberry field and a sugarcane field and harvest strawberries and sugarcane and make jelly. I don't have to do that, right? It's already been done. But if I want a sandwich, those people who made the bread and jelly are not gonna come to my house and make the sandwich for me, are they? Nope, it's just there. Even the person who went to the grocery store and bought the bread and jelly is not gonna make my sandwich for me, most likely. She loves me, but her motto is you can make your own sandwich, Right, So I, I have to take the ingredients that have been provided for me and I've got to make the sandwich, right? Because if I, don't, if I don't ever have to do anything for myself, we end up like the people from the video clip, right? We end up like those people who, who everything is done for them. Everything they need is already done. There's nothing left for them to do. So they do nothing. They just sit in these couches and they fall out of them and have to have robots pick them up, Right? Spiritually, that's not what God wants for us. He, he, he's not gonna do everything for us because then we become sort of useless. But he provides everything we need. So we've got all the ingredients we need for a godly life, but we have to make the sandwich. We, we've gotta put the things together. We've gotta make an effort. Not an effort to be accepted, not an effort to be loved, not an effort to save ourselves, 
but an effort to become the people that he's shaping us into being so that we can be the church that reflects the kingdom of God, makes it a reality here on earth, right? So uh, some of the words from the article, he, he talked about that contemporary America is not set up for communities defined by mutuality, care, and common life. That, that's kind of the trademarks of, of healthy community. I think it's what we want when we think about um, life with other people, mutuality, care, and common life. And he just says that the world's not set up for that, which is why we don't see that in the world around us. We don't see these concepts growing in the world around us, mutuality, care, and common life. What, what do we see growing? We see depression growing. We see anxiety growing. We see fear growing. We see uncertainty growing. We see anger growing. We see separation growing, brokenness growing, but we don't see mutuality, care, and common life growing because that is supposed to come from the church. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And if we're not making the sandwich, the church can't be that. We can't be a place of mutuality, care, and common life if the people of the church are not adding to their faith godliness and to godliness perseverance and perseverance self-control. And we've got to make the sandwich. So um, let's, let's continue because it gets uh, better and worse at the same time. Here we go. Uh, verse eight. He says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure... in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. So Peter assumes that his listeners, his readers, want to be effective and productive for Jesus, right? Is that a fair assumption? That if you call yourself a Christian, that you wanna be effective and productive in that relationship and for Jesus? Not so that he will save you, but because he already has, your response is, I want to be productive and effective. Because what, what he says at the end then is, like, if you, if you don't want that, if that's not where you are, you don't really think about or care about or make effort to be effective and productive, it's, it may be that you've forgotten that you're forgiven and that you need to be forgiven. It may be that you've forgotten that, that you need a savior, because you're, you're broken and lost. We're all broken and lost without Jesus. Because if you recognize the cost of your forgiveness, the cost of the grace God pours out on you every day, then there will be in your heart a desire to be effective and productive in your relationship with Christ. So if that desire is missing, he's saying, just remember. Remember the cost of your forgiveness. Remember that without Jesus, you're lost and hopeless. So do you want to be effective and productive? We need to be connected to Jesus because that's how we get everything we need, all the raw materials for the kind of life we're created for. And then we got to make the sandwich. Okay, so um, the word we're going to use for that um, is diligence. And I took the liberty of defining this <laughs> in my own words. So we're going, to use, we're going to say diligence is doing your best to add to who you are from where you are, okay? Add, add to who you are from where you are. Actually, I think there's an improvement on this definition because the guy didn't think it through all the way. I think it's adding to who we are from where you are. So it's not just about you. 
It's always about us. And diligence is doing your best to add to who we are from where you are. And the where you are part is important because in our culture, it's really tempting, easy to fall into the trap of comparing ourselves to other people, right? And when we do this in a spiritual sense, uh, one of two things happen. Either we look around at other people, we compare ourselves to other people, and we get self-righteous. We kind of go, I mean, I know I'm not perfect, but at least I'm not like that guy or that person. Like, I don't, I don't talk like them. I don't, you know, go the places they go. I don't have the friends they have. And we get real self-righteous when we look at other people. Or the other possibility is we look at other people spiritually and um, we put them up on a pedestal and we go, oh, I can never be, I can never be as whole. I can never be as good as that person. I can never know the Bible like that person. I can never pray like that person. And we kind of put ourselves in the category of like a spiritual loser. But if diligence is adding to who we are from where you are, then it it's not about comparing yourself to whether other, other people are. It's about starting from where you are. Wherever you are, that's where you're starting from. And you're not, you're not comparing yourself. You're not trying to achieve what somebody else has achieved. You're not trying to you know, just make sure that you're a little better than the people around you. The comparison is always to Jesus and Jesus always invites us to grow. He invites us into something deeper, invites us into something more whole. It's like what we do with our kids when we send them to school. We don't have the same academic expectations of a kindergartner as we do of a fourth grader, as we do of a senior. Like we don't expect fourth graders to be doing physics and calculus. But we do have one baseline expectation at all levels, which is do your best, right? That's what you tell your kids, do your best. At every level, just do your best. So we're we're gonna do our best to add to who we are from where you are. And I wanna give you just a few ways I think that you can do that. Um, and so these ways are going to be, they're gonna sound like I'm asking you to do more because I'm asking you to do more. But the reason why is, is, is not because I think you have extra time. It's not because I assume you have extra money. It's not because I assume you're doing nothing. I assume you're doing stuff. I assume you're doing good stuff with your time and your money and your energy and your resources. I'm just saying what Peter is saying, that if as a church family, we're gonna have a community of mutuality and care and common life, it's going to be because we do things differently than the world. We can't do things like the world does them and expect a different result. We see the result of how the world does things depression, anxiety, loneliness, all of these things, which are still present in the church family. There's just a level of support and encouragement here that gets us through those things. But like if, if that's the result we want, then let's just do things like the world. But if we want a community of mutuality, care, and common life, we have to do things differently. So it's not you're doing nothing, you should do something. It's you're doing a lot of stuff. We need to think about why and what we're investing in, what our priorities are. So here are the fourth ways that I think you can be diligent. That is doing your best to add to who we are from where you are. Uh, first is learning. Um, we're always learning. I, th I think the mentality of being a lifelong learner is, is very valuable, especially when it comes to our faith. And so we have a Christian education program here. And I, listen, I've been to a lot of churches. I talked to a lot of pastors. I've been to conferences I have never seen a church do Christian education better than us. 
I'm, this is not my department, by the way. This is Andy's department. He's got a team and they do these things. But they've got this schedule laid out. They've got like this three-year plan. They've got these three categories that everything falls into. We have teachers here that just, are, they know their stuff and they love you. And it is just solid. Embrace it. Give us some time. Sign up for a class. Take a class, right? Because this is going to be a way that we grow. It's going to be a way you can contribute So the class is not always just about what you're going to learn as an individual, but it's about what you bring to the conversation too. And when you're not there, that piece is missing. So invest in Christian. You're like, I don't have time for that. Well, stop doing something else and do this. I don't know what to tell you. All right. Uh, The second thing is serving. Uh, This is an obvious thing and it's something that we do uh, in our church family. Our our church is good at this. This is not like a criticism where I would say like, you know, you you people don't do anything for each other. No, our church is good at this. But what what I want us to do is be intentional about it. Uh, I want us to look for needs that that match with our gifts. So you, some of you love babies and and you you just love to hold babies. And we have a need for people to hold babies. So that's a place where your gift matches with a need that we have. So go sign up to hold babies. Some of you love middle schoolers because middle schoolers are lovable. I don't, I don't know why we, we give them a bad rap, but middle schoolers are lovable. If you love middle schoolers, we need people to love on middle schoolers. So go sign up to love on middle schoolers. This is a place where your gift meets the church's need. So that's what I want you to look for, is it the opportunities where your gift, some of you love to cook. And so we, we often have opportunities where someone is sick or um, been hospitalized or had some kind of tragedy and they need, they need meals provided. And so people who love to cook will cook and provide those meals. You could just give money to the church and the church could just go buy Chick-fil-A and give it to them. That actually sounds not terrible. If I get sick, that's what we're doing. Um, but like that would be the easy way out. But if, you're, if you love to cook, then just cook something. If you don't know, like, well, how do I get in on that? How do I know when, let us know. Just sign up and say, hey, if, you, if anybody ever needs a meal, sign me up, I'll cook for somebody, right? Serving, I, I want us to be intentional about matching our needs with other people's gifts because we're building a community of mutuality, care and common life. The third area is giving. And uh, I don't presume to know how much you have to give or how much you get. I don't know how much any of you give, just so you're aware of that. I have no idea. Those numbers are none of my business. But I would just encourage you, if there's room for you to grow in your giving, it's a great way to grow in your faith. Like it, it absolutely stretches you and grows you. If your giving is not stretching you, then how can you add to it? If you're not giving anything, can you give something? If you're a guest here, we're not asking you to give to our church like account, but can you be generous in some way towards people who have a need? Like just think through the opportunities you have to be generous with what God has blessed you with. If you're in a place where you just don't have any financial resources to give, you're kind of one who's kind of going, I could actually use some help. We're here for that too, right? We're, we go through different seasons in our lives, but giving is a way that you contribute to a community that makes us the church God created us to be. And the last one, is connecting. If, if, you're, if you're just here every week and, and, and you kind of you, you know the faces of the people who sit around you, but you're not really connected to other Christians in a way where I mean, you can have conversations, you get together, and you talk about scripture together, or you, you pray together. Man, 
being connected to other people. This is, this is making the sandwich, right? God has given you this gift of a church family. There are people around you who want to get to know you, who want to know your ideas, who want to pray for you and pray with you. Let's, let's make the sandwich, get connected. Microchurch is a great way to do that. It's not the only way, but it's a great way to do that is get connected with other people so you can, you can read scripture together. Just on that note, like if you ever read scripture and you get frustrated because you don't know exactly what you read, you don't know how to understand it or apply it. Um, like, I think part of the purpose and the goal is for us to do that together. Like, we should talk about it together. That's, that's how we learn how to study and apply scripture is by talking about it with other people. So your voice matters in those conversations. And so get connected with somebody. And so if we, if we do those things, if you're, if you're learning, if you're serving, if you're giving, if you're connecting, then my guess is you are contributing in a major way to a community of mutuality and care and common life. To what end? To what end? Not just so that we can, you know, say, hey, my church family's awesome, but it is, but it's not just so we can say that. Here's how Peter ends this passage. Verse 10, therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and... rich welcome into the eternal kingdom. Now, I don't think Peter means by that that um, when you die, you'll go to heaven. Okay, I believe, hope that's true, but I think the way we talk about that sometimes doesn't really match up with what Peter's thinking here. Peter would say that the church is the expression of the kingdom of God on earth and that we pray this prayer Jesus taught us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, Peter, I believe, thinks the church is supposed to be ushering in the kingdom of God through building a community of mutuality and care and common life. He says, if you do these things, if you, if you take all the raw ingredients that God has provided you for, his power, his grace, his forgiveness, his mercy, and you make the sandwich, you do the work, then you'll have that kind of community where you feel like you're a part of an eternal kingdom and who doesn't want to be a part of that? Like, how easy is that to talk about? I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to invite someone to church, right? I get that. Like, if somebody's not a church person, then asking them to give up their Sunday morning and come here and listen to me talk for half an hour, 35 minutes, like, that's hard to do. But if you're a part of a community that feels like the eternal kingdom of God, and you would describe it as mutuality and care in common life, it's not hard to invite somebody to that because you're like, man, I... I want that for everybody. That's what we're building together. So we got we to gotta do our part and, and make the sandwich. I've talked about sandwiches so much. Anybody hungry? Yeah, okay, sorry. That's my bad. Well, since we're all hungry, let's stand up and we'll dismiss with a prayer. But here's what I want to invite you to do as we pray. Is there something that the Holy Spirit is challenging you to do? Not something Adam is challenging you to do. Adam only knows about 50% of what he's talking about. So, but is there something the Holy Spirit is challenging you to do today? A change that you need to make, a way that you need to shift priorities. Not necessarily go from doing nothing to doing something, but to do something better. Is there a challenge that you're, you're being asked to make? And if so, invite somebody to help you do that. Don't try to do it alone. Invite somebody to walk with you into that. Let's, let's pray that prayer together.
Father, we thank you for the opportunity to hear this message, to receive it, and to apply it. And my prayer is, God, that we would respond and be obedient and faithful. So just do that in us and through us this morning to your glory. And so other people will be drawn to the light of Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Okay, pause one minute because I forgot something really important, my friend. Just remind me of, what did I forget? Oh, gosh. How can you forget this? It's, all right, this is my bad, but... All right, we're going to fix it. So this is, we're, we're made new. We have a new person. Yay. The Holy Spirit is making us new. And yeah, Okay. There we go. Okay. God bless you. Go in peace. Be salt and light in a world that desperately needs Christ.